Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. You're not going to believe this. Oh, oh my God. God. Five stars. Five and a half stars. Papa. My dad is my hero. Grandpa, are you ready? I love a good happy ending. Oh boy. Hey, hey, The phony baloney. And a tit for tatter. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. <laughs> Today, we have the Love Rabbi from the hit documentary series, Kosher Love. This episode is cut into part one and two, so be sure to tune into part two next. The rabbi is here to shed light on healthy relationships and the true core values of Judaism. Let's dive in. Rabbi, welcome. I'm really curious, like, how did the Kosher Love series come about? Have you been asked that a zillion times? No, I'm giving a sigh because, well, let's get started. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I watched your series actually, and the married couple in it, I was wondering if they were still married. Cause what's interesting about her is that she became like Balshiva later. And she said that she ex- had experienced love, but she hadn't experienced marriage. So that actually is fairly similar to me. I grew up in a conservative Jewish family, but dated not Jewish pretty much until I went on a religious trip to Israel at 25. So sorry. I know those. Oh my gosh. I got aged and, you know, saw the five star Jewish experience and was like, oh, wow, I want Jewish girlfriends. I want to experience Israel like that. I want to have Shabbos like that. And, you know, but then there's no roadmap after you choose that. You're shaking your head. Know. You, you know it. Yeah. There's We're been so a good. lot of bumps. We're so good at bringing them in. And then what? Exactly. I've been saying to a lot of couples recently that the COVID year is like 10 years in relationship <laughs> years. I really believe it. I really think like, you know, I see a lot of couples who were like, like dating and all of a sudden things got really intense. I mean, it's just like seen a lot of amazing things and a lot of, well, the opposite of amazing things happening as well. Like people who probably shouldn't have gotten divorced years ago getting divorced during COVID. I've also heard about a lot of divorces. Yes. But you know what? I know I'm listening to you and I'm saying, wow, first of all, your authenticity, your vulnerability is absolutely amazing. I can feel it through the screen. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I'm 130 episodes in, so I'm very comfortable having conversations now. That's one great thing that has come out of the pandemic. Be yourself. Yeah. And do what you love. And then the world will respond. And here you are. And here we are. You must be a pretty holy soul to be, you know, with me now at this point after all that I've experienced up until now. I definitely feel the weight. I was like listening to all of your content today, actually, which is so funny since you didn't listen to any of mine. But one thing that sticks out is you said that you knew you were going to be religious at nine years old. Like a one smile from the Rebbe did that for you. How powerful is that? I was actually seven years old. Seven. Oh my gosh. I look back at my life and I'm like, I'm not sure. I I don't fully get it. I've just been, I've tried my best to bring my full self with me wherever I've gone my entire life. I just say yes to everything. I mean, my wife, sometimes she's like, do you always have to say yes? And I'm like, yes, but she's very grounding. And she really grounds me that way. You know, sometimes she's the one who has to say no, but I have a hard time saying no, very hard time saying no. And it's brought me to experiences and places and things that I never imagined. 
I mean, I don't have an answer. Like, I don't know why a seven-year-old wanted something more from life. Seven-year-olds don't usually want more from life. But for some reason, that's just who I am. Yeah, tell me about your childhood. I was raised in the Plains, Illinois, right outside of Chicago. My grandmothers both lived walking distance from us. My parents were not just high school sweethearts. They were elementary school sweethearts. We became religious as a family when I was a young child. And what was interesting is my parents really wanted that religion and that form of structure for the kids. I'm the oldest. Now I'm the oldest of seven. They weren't sure exactly what that would look like, but I guess they've made, they made a lot of choices in their life and a lot of choices for the family. It ended up being that one of the choices they made was sending me to a religious school. So maybe they weren't exactly holding there, but they sent me there. So I would come home with everything that I learned. And I'd be like, mom, we got to do this. And dad, we got to do this. And they called me their rabbi. <laughs> they said, well, you know, we never went to yeshiva. We never got the Jewish education. My father never had a bar mitzvah. So because we never had that, you're going to teach us. And they really depended a lot on me growing up, just asking because they wanted to be more. And here I was every single day immersed in that environment. And that was just the way I was raised from an early age. I mean, so many of my teachers in elementary school remember me. I wouldn't let them leave on a Friday. I didn't have a Devar Torah. I didn't have something to say at the Shabbat table because my parents would, you know, I was the one who was responsible to bring the Torah to the Shabbat table. So you really took to it though. I loved it. All of my friends in school were going to this Rebbe, to New York. They would come back with dollars and they would come back with these stories. And I'm like, I want to do that. And I would go home and say to my parents, like, I want to do that. I want to go to New York. I want to visit the Rebbe. And then finally, after I guess their push and a little bit of my push, I don't remember exactly how it happened. I've actually never even asked them how like they decided to actually go, but we took a road trip from Chicago to New York and we went to visit the Rebbe. And it was just, I was so excited. I remember like yesterday, just the excitement leading up to going. I went around and I got like money from all of my friends because, you know, when you go on a trip, there was a tradition to get like shliach mitzvah, which is like you become an emissary for a mitzvah. So you collect like, I was collecting quarters from my friends and nickels from my friends. Like I'm going to, I'm going to go and I'm going to put, put it in charity by the Rebbe. I remember that. And then we went there and just the whole experience was completely surreal. And that was when I decided I was going to be a rabbi. Wow, that's so beautiful. I think I saw a picture of you like inside his station where there's all like those phone connection things. Wasn't oh, that yeah. in the documentary, I think? Yes. That's cool. I've actually been there too. And I had, I think, a spiritual experience both times I went. It's an, it's an amazing place. I still go and it's still like my, my, my happy place. There's no question. Do you feel like you've had like miracles happen from that? It's so funny that you're asking me these questions because I don't consider myself like one of these kind of airy fairy type of people. Like I'm really a pragmatist. And so, yes, I have, but I don't talk about it so much because like I'm pragmatic. I'm very realistic about my, about what I do and how I do it. So all of a sudden, like, yeah, did you have a miracle story? Tell me, when did you drink the Kool-Aid? Like, but it happens. It does. And there's nothing you can do about it. And either you accept it or you don't. Either you're tapped into it or you don't. Like, But it happens every day to us. There are miracles that happen every day. There's a beautiful idea in Kabbalah that says that the person 
to whom the miracle is happening doesn't realize the miracle is happening. That's really and beautiful. I, I think about that so much that there's so many miracles that are happening. Like who said that the sun had to rise this morning? Why? Because you decided because it rose yesterday that it's going to rise today. There's something so magical about every moment. And, and how did this happen? Look at this conversation. Like how did this happen? How many different miracles had to take place for this interaction to happen at this moment at this time? You know how I got to you? This is really interesting. So I was married by a Chabad rabbi in Louisville, Kentucky, Rabbi Litvin. I'm going to give him a little shout out here. He'll love that. He listens to my show. I reached out to him because someone who I went to the Ohel with, she had reached out to me to help her with some matchmaking. And then she ended up finding somebody who she's dating right now very happily. And then somebody that she learns with and partners in Torah's son is a 40 year old real life virgin, but he's looking for a match. And so I just, I'm going into Louisville to my dad's birthday and father's day this weekend. And that Chabad rabbi is putting on a party for my dad and honoring him at the Chabad. And so I was like, Hey, I was like, I know a 40 year old virgin and he's a Kohen. Do you know anybody? And he was like, you should reach out to the love rabbi. That is how I found you. <laughs> no way. Like, but, but I wanted to tell you, I, I hate that moniker. <laughs> I really do. Why? Because it's cheesy. It's so cheesy. A little bit? Come on. (laughs) Do I look like the love rabbi to you? (laughs) Look at me. I'm having a bad beard day. Oh my God, that's funny. Or the people's rabbi. That was a new one that I heard you say. Yeah, I'd rather be the people's rabbi than the love rabbi. But you know what? If it's going to help the Jewish people, I'll take whatever it is. I'm, I feel like I'm taking one for the team. Yeah, so I actually heard you say that about your matchmaking. And I really respect that. And it kind of made me rethink things today because my time is so limited. I'm a mom of four. I'm still trying to build my business. I'm a podcaster. I have a lot of opportunities that come my way. Thank God. So this story came to me and I was like, maybe I should just do that because how amazing would it be if I could help find this guy a match? (laughs) And then the same week I get connected to you. Like you really could probably help him. You would be an amazing matchmaker. I'm not a matchmaker. I'm not a matchmaker. It's not even so much talent. I love people and I love marriage. I think marriage is a beautiful thing. And so those two things work. Like my vow, I have a strong value, a Jewish value, but a strong personal value that marriage is a very, very important thing that is almost being lost. I'm actually in the middle of writing a book called Why Bother Getting Married? Because I'm questioning on behalf of the millennials, on behalf of this next generation, like does marriage really matter in the 21st century? And I've gone through this really great process of trying to figure it out, of asking the difficult questions and then answering them. And I see that a lot, I really do believe in it. I really do think that it's almost this lost art of which, you know, so many people in the Jewish community are talking about, oh, intermarriage and assimilation. I think that we have to have a very different conversation where we shouldn't stop talking about intermarriage and start talking about marriage. Because I think more Jews or more people in our community are not getting married than getting intermarried. Yeah, so actually, that's a really good transition because this guy who I was talking to wanted to know your thoughts on the Shidduch crisis. And he too mentioned that, that he feels like people are waiting and not getting married. Yeah, because why should they? They don't believe in it. Most of them are coming from divorced homes. Many of them are coming, if they are from marriages, it's not a marriage that they can relate to. 
So their parents no more are models for their relationships. And so what do you expect from them? Is marriage matter? Is it important? They can't even see themselves being married. It's hard because marriage is a process through which you need to grow and become better as an individual, as a person. And if you don't see yourself being able to grow and become better as a person, if you think that you're perfect, then there's nowhere, there's no space for anyone else in your life. Sometimes I say to singles that, you know, they'll come to me and they'll say, I want to get married. And I'm like, no, you don't. You don't. Where would somebody fit in your life? Do you have time for it? Do you have the space for it? How long have you been living in your apartment? So many young people are moving in alone. Do you have any space in your apartment for someone else? You know, you may have to clean out half of your closet and sleep on one side of your bed and, and start feeling like there's something missing in your life. If you don't feel like there's anything missing in your life, why the heck would anybody want to get married? Yeah, my favorite part of the documentary was when that rapper kid, you had him create the list of what he was looking for in the other person and then create a list of what he was bringing to the table. That was amazing. And you're like, how do these line up? <laughs> like, would this person marry this person? It's a simple recipe. Does the, do the person you think you are and the person you want to get married to, can they be married? Yeah, that was hard hitting. And how many people have these lists of expectations and the list doesn't get shorter the longer you wait? Thank you. I rest my case. And you know what's interesting? For every non-negotiable you have, you need to be able to negotiate a lot of other things. <laughs> so if you have a list a mile long of non-negotiables, where is the room for negotiation? Where is the room for somebody else in that list? Like nobody else can fit because there is another person and they probably also have a list a mile long. So let's take two lists a mile long and where are we going to negotiate here? Where are we going to even, and forget about chemistry and actually being able to get along and share the same space and all these other wonderful things that are important in a relationship. Yeah, so that was the first thing I said to him, this Kohane that was asking me, you know, to help him try to find a match. I was like, well, let me hear all of the breakers first. Like, what are all the rules we have to fulfill and where can you be flexible? You got it. Because being a Kohane in itself, those rules are very hard and at 40, even harder. Can we talk about that? Is that even possible to find someone at 40 that really can satisfy all of the rules of what a Kohane has to have? Absolutely. And not only absolutely, it really depends on the person. Like, do you want to get married? It's okay. If you say, no, I am perfectly satisfied with my life. Stop clogging the system. Stop going on dates thinking something's going to change. No one is going to be able to live up to your expectation. No one's going to be able to, to be able to meet that image. I mean, what you're married to is this idea. So I have a very good idea. Just get a cardboard cutout and marry the cardboard cutout or marry yourself or marry your alter ego. I don't know. So you have to believe in marriage to do it. Doesn't that, isn't that obvious? It's not just falling in love with someone's eyes or that they make you laugh or, you know, I feel like. And then what? Or electricity. Okay, so people have electromagnetic energy. I'm happy for them. There's a nice feeling and you feel the heebie-jeebie things. Okay, I'm happy. So, so what? Well, what does that have to do with anything? Why, why do you have to get married then? Right, that's what sparks them wanting to. Yeah, I mean, fine. So you have interest, but then what? But I also do feel like the whole shidduch matchmaking system is heavily based upon being attracted to the other person. 
when it comes down to it i mean yes they have these like resumes or whatever of like and and can you talk a little bit about like resume dating what does a resume really show it shows that they have a reference that you exist that you have a pulse yeah that you have a little pedigree or not maybe there's a picture that I don't know if anyone ever looked good in a picture or they thought they looked good in a picture. So that's not going to help. Yeah, actually, I think it's a bad idea. I just feel like people put like professional pictures there. They're not going to like take a selfie and then put that on the resume. You know, I want to see what you look like 10 minutes ago. I want to see what you look like after a run. I want to see what you look like without Photoshop or a filter. Thank you. You have it. What, What do you need me on your podcast for? You figured it all out already. Not really. I mean, I'm still struggling. (laughs) What are are you struggling with? Tell me, tell me. Truthfully, I am watching a baby from the time he wakes up in the morning until my husband gives me a break at 6 p.m. And I probably should hire some help. (laughs) And I did have a nanny like before COVID. And then we decided when COVID hit, when COVID hit, not to have anyone in our house anymore or not to have any help. So I haven't had any help in over a year, you know? And Amazing. You're heroic. Thank you. I need to hear that more. And and he was basically saying to me, like, you know, some women like enjoy that and they don't feel like that's work or a, or a chore. But, you know, that was definitely not modeled for me. My mom had lots of childcare help, did not look at it like that was what she loved doing. And isn't that interesting how the issue that some people have with marriage you have with parenting? <laughs> totally. Yeah, that's the issue. You You get it. Because that's the problem that's going on in the world today. You totally get it. That you need to be able, like, if your mother, well, how do you know how to raise your kids from your parents? I mean, that's obvious. Even my dad before I mean, this was like, hey, just drive to Kentucky and drop the kids with me. I'm like, uh, the baby puked three times today. Do you know what to do in that situation? Or if you don't change his diaper, it will come off from too much pee. Or, you know, my dad's never changed a diaper in his life. My dad doesn't make dinner, you know, he brought home the paycheck and my mom did all of that. I don't even think he does his own laundry. You know, my, my husband helps with so much more than my dad ever did. I mean, I love my dad. He's a great guy, but he couldn't take care of my baby. And, and the moment the baby starts crying at night and wants, wants me, my dad will be like, drive back from Chicago and come get this baby. Please. It's sweet that he wants to help, but you know, that's part of being a mom, right? Like, so my husband wanted to take my son to Colorado for like a special camping trip. And I'm like, how come I don't get to go? Or how come I'm left with the baby for four days, five days, like with no help? That to me just sounds like more than I can handle. That is such an important thing in relationships. Say the thing, just say it. Yes, totally. I say it all. Maybe you'll rupture, but rupture is great for relationships. My husband was like, I feel like your emotions are so up and down that... I just have to keep like even keeled and not let your emotions at all even phase my day. I'm like, that's true. Like, please don't be phased by my emotions. And if you could just stay even keeled, that'd be great. At the same time, I'm like, that sucks that he has to like not be able to express himself fully because he obviously wants to react differently and is holding back from doing that. Wow. Is that what marriage is? (laughs) Yes. There's two very important elements of marriage. Many, many important elements, but two that I can share with you. Number one is rupture and repair. Hmm. The ability to rupture, to say the thing, just say it, rupture it and repair it, talk it over, experience it, see how it lands, right? So so you say something, your spouse needs to let it land, allow it, don't react, right? When your husband says something, you're reacting, don't react, just let it land, take it in, 
don't try to do it. I mean, there's there's active listening. You can repeat it if you, if you need to do that, but just let it land, experience it, and then have a conversation, communicate it. And the second thing is this idea that David Schnarch talks about, which is differentiation. Differentiation is the ability to be yourself while being in the relationship. If the relationship is causing you to be somebody you're not, then you're enmeshing. You're creating something that if, if, if it's helping you be a better version of yourself, then you're doing something right. I do feel like that for me, but I don't know if my husband feels like that for him. <laughs> I'll so have talk, to ask. Talk to him about it. Talk to him. <laughs> yes. You feel like you're like, this is better. And, and, and if not, like, how can I support that? Mm. Would that mean like career wise or like as a person? All the All above and more. Yeah. And more like the whole person, mm-hmm. the person is the, the, the private person, the public person, the career, the parent, the child, the spouse, there's all of that. And the two of you are on this journey together. I mean, I, I, I look at it like, you know, there's this all this very romanticized version of marriage in, in the Jewish texts, you know, this idea of two halves of a single whole, right? That you're two halves that before you're married, you're just half a person and you're looking for the other half of who you are. And then when you come together under the chuppah, together you become this whole unit. Isn't it so romantic? That is romantic. And I wonder if you can be that with more than one person. I hope not. I mean, (laughs) not at the same time. Buzzkill, yeah. Not not with more than one person at the same time, but what is that? What, what, how does that happen? How do you actually, it's a beautiful romantic idea, but how does it actually happen? How do you become two halves of a whole with, or how do you go from two halves to the whole, right? Because you're still yourself. You still bring all the trauma and all the garbage and everything from your past into your relationship and with your emotions and with his intellectual, which is great. That's very complimentary, right? Somebody who's like really, really emotional. Somebody's really intellectual do well together because one can be like, Let's do this. And they will be like, relax, relax. It's okay. So that's great. But you're still bringing your whole self. So that idea of differentiation, of being able to be yourself, but also be in the relationship, that's really powerful. Outside of Hanukkah, what do you think is the most popular Jewish holiday? My favorite is Passover. What's the most popular part of Passover? The Seder. And what's the most popular part of the Seder? The Seder itself. Like, what do you know? Like, if I were to say, tell me something that we say at the Seder, what are you going to say? Our favorite part of the Seder is when we sing Lashana Habab Yerushalayim and we have our kids run through the sea and they escape Egypt. That is pretty cool, actually. That is pretty cool. They love that part. I'd say that the most popular part is Manishchanaha, right? What is that? Be. The four questions. The four, the four questions. And, and the Seder is supposed to be an example of a regular dinner in your home on a regular night. So what are you saying to your kids at the Seder? What do you ask the kids to do? Uh, ask us, yeah. ask us questions. They interviewed Isidor Isaac Rabi after he won the Nobel Prize in, in physics. I think it was like in the sixties. And they asked him, how did you do it? He mentioned his parents and he said, my parents were immigrants. And every single day when I came home from school, how most parents say, how was your day? Did you have a good day? My mother would ask me in her native Yiddish, Isidor, this is, I remember hearing this interview. Did you ask any good questions today? And he said, that gave me the foundation to later become a Nobel Prize winner. That's beautiful. Wow. The most important thing, I have a son now 
who is going to be bar mitzvah in January. And I've decided because when I was bar mitzvah, it was not the most pleasant experience for me. And my strong philosophy, and my wife and I talk about this a lot, is that every single one of our kids' Jewish experiences should be highly positive. And if it's not highly positive, I don't want them to have, rather than have no Jewish experience than a negative one, because at least they're a blank slate. Yeah. So every Jewish experience that our kids have needs to be highly positive. And so I decided that I'm going to teach my son bar mitzvah the way that I want to teach bar mitzvah, no pun intended, unorthodox, but it's at least something that's going to be really high, highly positive. And one of the things that we're really focusing on a lot is that this power of questioning and, you know, not every question gets answered because not every question deserves an answer, but every question is important. I may not have an answer for every question, but every question is valuable and it's so great. And just the value, the value of questioning. And you know, in some of the questions that you ask, maybe they'll be answered in 20 years from now, but that value of questioning is so powerful. And that is what we teach our kids for two and a half thousand years. Families have been sitting around the Seder table and parents have been looking at their children and the children have been standing up on the chair, no matter how young they are. And if they're older, maybe they're sitting and they look at them and say, can you please recite the four questions? Please ask us questions. And the parents look at the kids and say, I don't know if we're going to have answers. I don't know if we have an answer, but I want to hear your question because I want to hear from you. You are important to me. You are my world. And I just want to hear from you. And I want to hear what's on your mind. And I want to have an authentic experience with you. And that's parenting and that's relationships. Do you do that that's at your, your regular dinner table? Always. Wow. So I, I start off with Parsha questions. Every week I'll put together like some Parsha questions. We always have a big array of different types of candies at our Shabbat table. And then if you get a question right, you get an answer, you get a candy. And if you ask a question, you get a candy. So okay, well, no wonder they want to do it. <laughs> yeah, but that's fine because they're small. And then now that I have teenagers, they know that when you come to the Shabbat table, you're going to be, we're going to be asking questions. Like it's just part of our setup. You did say earlier in our conversation that you have seen couples that, you know, became religious together or whatever, and then felt lost after. What happened in those situations? Look, I'm generalizing because you asked me about couples, not about couple, but I'm generalizing. I see where... The woman is more religious than the man. The family becomes more religious. Where the man is more religious than the woman, the family has a very difficult time. There's a huge conflict. Mm. And there's a huge negotiation. When he has, and this is with everything, not only religion, when he has non-negotiables that are in conflict with her non-negotiables, it's much harder than when she has non-negotiables that are in conflict with his non-negotiables. I would agree with that. It doesn't really make sense, and I'm generalizing, but it's most of the time right. Also, I mean, I think my husband would go to Shillmore, but he's like worried about sticking me with the kids, which that's another. That's amazing. That's amazing. Absolutely. You know what the most important place for a Jew is? Not the synagogue, the home. So how are all these men going to pray three times a day in a minute? A long time ago, a long time ago, I decided something that was so important. I'm not answering for the, the sins of my predecessors, of other rabbis. And I'm not answering for, if someone says, but this person does it, I don't know. I don't, actually, it doesn't matter because mm-hmm. Judaism would have never survived if we looked at other people. We've got to look at the book. We've got to look at our values. We have to look at who we are. That's how it's going to survive. We have to be proud of who we are. We have to teach our kids to be proud, unapologetic Jews. I don't care what's going on in the world. I don't care what's going on on social media. I'm not changing this. 
Why are you proud to be a Jew? I'm proud to be a Jew for so many reasons. First of all, I'm not a Jew by religion or by faith. I'm a Jew because I'm part of a family and I have such a strong identity. The Torah does not call us Jews. The Torah calls us B'nai Yisrael, the children of Israel. We are the children of Israel. The Torah is not a history book, it's our story. This is a story about our ancestors, about our people. Imagine if I handed you a book and I said, by the way, this is your great, 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 great grandfather. You know his name? No. Great, great, no, right? <laughs> I don't even know my great, great, great grandfather, but I know my, my two and a half thousand year old grandfather because his name is Abraham and this is his story. And it's such a cool story. And his story is such a great narrative for the way that I can live my life. And I can decide any kind of values that I can live my life by. I mean, there's great values all over the world. But this is the values that's been passed down to me from my family. These are my family values. Look in the book and say, how can I live my life better? I mean, I could look at someone else's story, but maybe I should look at my own story first, my own family story. And it's worked for us. Do you know what's amazing? I want to tell you what's amazing. With everything going on in the 21st century, that you and I actually care about Judaism. We actually care. That's amazing. Nobody should care. We've been through everything. Even most recently, the Holocaust. Got to bring that up, right? Every good Jewish conversation has got to have a Holocaust in it. And after all that, we still care. Why? That's amazing. I feel like the reason that I care is because of my family, like my immediate family. I mean, I feel like that's why I got married and that's why I had kids. And I even had a conversation with my dad about this just before we got on too. And I was like, I am not going to actually put that pressure on my kids though. And he was like, okay, well then I will. I was like, please don't. Oy, the guilt. Oy, the guilt. I know. I never understood how they could walk up both hills barefoot in the snow while it was raining. I never understood that. I heard you talk about guilt. in another class that you were giving, though, that, you know, people are having less kids and that they don't care about having the big family anymore. Well, because we became narcissists. You think that's what it we're, is? I think the great struggle of our generation is narcissism. Absolutely. What's in it for me? What did I get out of it? Is that why you think Marriage. relationships aren't working? Well, yeah, because people go into relationships thinking, what am I going to get out of it? If you go into a relationship thinking, what am I going to get out of it? You're going to get nothing and you're going to give nothing. If it's all about me and you didn't fulfill my needs and you're not doing anything for me, then just be in a relationship with yourself because you can do much better for yourself than anybody can do for you. Yeah, my dad said then you're just a lost soul in a small span of time. That's profound. And he's right. <laughs> he's right. But try to explain that to a narcissistic generation. Right. Who could care less about lost souls or souls in general or time in general, because who really cares about all that? Let's just live it up. I mean, there's so much greatness. It's all there. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hit and we have nowhere to go and nothing to do. And we're like, oh my gosh, for the first time in my life, I got to face myself. What am I going to do now? And everyone's having these, you know, depression and sadness and anxiety all of a sudden, because for so many years, I used to pretend like I was busy because I had this thing to do and that place to go and this thing to do. And we're all busy, 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 busy. You know, I gotta do, this is supposed to make our lives so much better, this machine. And all it does is just make our lives more complicated if we don't use it properly. And now your father's right, but your father's from a different generation. And now what your father's job to do is try to figure out a way to speak the words of a narcissistic, self-absorbed generation who just care about themselves. And if you make a mistake, then we're just going to cancel you because we don't want to hear and life is too short to not be in my own echo chamber. Talk to that generation. Yeah, I'm, I'm borderline that generation. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> That's why I get it. 
How do we fix it? By start talking the language, by starting to listen instead of speaking. We're all speaking over each other. There's so many issues. It's all about issues. And I'm this and I'm that. And I'm there's polarization everywhere. But learn how to be in a relationship. Relationships don't only teach us how to be in a relationship and how to be in a happy marriage. They also teach us how to be human beings, how to be in the world. I want to hear what you have to say. I'm not in this conversation right now because I like to hear myself speak. I'm in this conversation because I want to listen to you. I really want to know about that documentary too. The documentary came about because I live in a very interesting city. I live in Montreal and there's a lot of filmmakers here. And actually the area that I live in, which is NDG, is filled with filmmakers. So I know a lot of filmmakers. I had done something for Vice, a number of different things. I even, I acted as a rabbi in a number of movies that were, that were made here. That was really fun. I wrote an animation a while back. Maybe you, you came across it for your kids called Young Abraham. I haven't, but now I want to check it out. Yeah, it was really great. I had a dream as a child to, to make a Disney, a Disney level animation that would be good for like religious kids. And so I did the story of Abraham and like what I learned from it. And it was really fun. It was a five-year process and I worked with some big animation studios and I love that. So I, anyway, so I've got, I've been involved in films. So somebody calls me up and he says, uh, he's doing a documentary about uh, religious dating. Can I set him up? You know, he heard that I do matchmaking and he heard that I, I'm involved in it. Can I set him up with some religious singles that he can follow and film their dating process? And I'm like, it's pretty private. I don't know anyone that would actually want you to film their dating. That's uber weird. And so he's like, well, you sound interesting. And I've, you know, been watching some of the stuff that you've been doing. Can I at least interview you for the film? So I said, sure, you know, because I say yes to everything. So he came to my office and he set up and he sat me down in a chair and he said, just start talking. I spoke for two and a half hours and that became the narration of the film. I love that. That's so great. And then afterwards he was like, okay, well, if you're going to, if you're going to be the narrator of the film, we got to find out who you are and like meet your family and meet people and, and kind of get you to interact. So it all happened. They had been working on the film for about two years and the film was needed. It was already bought and was already going to be premiering on CBC and they needed to finish it in three months. And so I just got involved in the film in the last three months. And now we're filming Kosher Love 2. We're in the middle of filming Kosher Love 2. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah. I heard you talk about that. You know, one of the interesting things and one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to your dad is because um, I finish off Kosher Love with a question and I say, you know, I've been married thank God for 16 years. I know what a 16 year relationship looks like, but I don't know what a 40 year or a 50 year or a 60 year relationship looks like. And so one of the things I've always wanted to do is go around and interview people who have been in 40, 50, 60 years, because that is a lost art. And if we don't capture that before the, this generation is gone, the generation that was married for that long, then we're going to be in trouble. Like we need to be able to capture that and then translate it into the new generation. We need to ask these questions. How did you do it? I love that. You know, one of the things that I say to a lot of singles and they hate when I say it, I say it in a way that I want to shock them. I know I want to shock them. And I always get like this visceral reaction. And I always look at them and I say, you are the common denominator in all your failed relationships. Just take ownership, own, own whatever it is. It's your choices. Whether you made them actively or you made them passively, they're yours. This is your life. It's okay. It's okay to have a bias. It's okay to have expectations, but call it. Don't live in this fake world where we don't know what's really going on. And we're going to paint this really beautiful romantic picture. I'd rather teach my kids to live in a world that was real 
than to live in a world that was ideal. And I know it's hard because that's not necessarily the way that we were raised. I agree with that. That's why I tell my dad, I was like, I'm not putting expectations on my kids. It's okay. They're allowed to have flaws. Yeah. They're allowed to make mistakes. That's the human experience. I know as a rabbi, I get put on a pedestal so often and like, hello, everyone, I'm human. <laughs> it's okay. I'm going to say some things you don't like. I know, but it's okay. As long as we can have an honest conversation about it. And I always say, I don't make choices for people, but I just support the choices they make. Because we're humans having a human experience. And what you would hope from your rabbi is someone who's going to support the choices you make. I like that. When you make matches, are you this honest with them? Or do you? Very. Really? I am. This is, I am an open book. Yeah. I'm an open book. My dad's totally an open book. That's where I got it from. Some people hate it. And it's okay. I'm not for everybody. Right. I appreciate that. I don't want to manipulate you into a relationship because I think it's a good idea. Look, somebody once taught me, a psychologist once taught me something very powerful. He said, never be hungrier than your clients. And I thought about that so many times. Mm. Like, I cannot want that match more than you. You got to want the match more than me. My job is just to be the messenger. That's really good. I just wrote that down. Wow. I, I always say that, that in order to get married, you need three elements. Number one, you need to see that dating is like marriage. That the same way in marriage, you have to be focused on your development, on your growth, on your change. Dating also needs to be just like that. Marriage is a gym where we develop as people. That's what marriage is all about. We develop as Jews. It's like cradle of a, of a new you, a higher you that you could never reach without your partner. It's the key to your self-actualization, to your self-transcendence. You have to really believe that that is what marriage is and that you in that dating process are going to have parts that are you're going to grow from and you're going to develop from and you're going to change. The second thing that I think is so important is that dating is a linear story and you are the main character, which means it's not ever random. It's not ever pointless. It's not ever chaotic. You have to feel like you're learning, like you're achieving, like you're going somewhere, even when a date doesn't work out. And every single person that you meet is like a stepping stone to get you closer. Switch it over to Grandpa. You know, he left the question, I guess is how we'll start off, is he's experiencing marriage through his eyes and years of experience with people with similar time frame. And yet the irony, as like what happened in the second discussion that we had, relationships have to be worked at whether you're married five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. There are booby traps all along the way that you either work things out together as things change in the world, but they also can change dramatically in your own relationship where certain events can occur that can put a tremendous strain on one's marriage. And uh, you either work through them or your marriage can fail at any time. A relationship, if it's built from the beginning, hopefully you're able to not fall into any of these pitfalls and be able to live your lives together. But, you know, sometimes even people don't have the same even length of time on this earth. What if someone is 55 years old and passes away or has been in an accident and dies? What is the person who's been married to him for 25 or 30 years? What are they supposed to do? Is that supposed to be that because that marriage is over, are they supposed to not try to have a relationship and still build some type of team network? Is marriage supposed to be 
as Grandpa Abe say, how's your better half? Is it supposed to be where you're not even whole unless there's a man and a woman together? Stay tuned for part two. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com.